Hey everyone, welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. I am back. It's so good to be here with you once again and to be covering these great changes within the Hollywood culture. Uh, Keith and I, we talk about what I've missed while I'm gone. And I think you probably know the answer to that, but also some of the changes are happening in the rank and file in major studios and possible changes of what we're looking at in the future. So welcome to this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Man, oh man, I've missed you. Well, 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 look who finally decided to rejoin the land of the living and not be traveling around Europe like some hotshot billionaire. <laughs> I'll say I I have missed you. Um, oh, likewise, Tim, likewise. Although Robin did her best to fill your shoes. And I want to say I'm glad to be back, but I was glad to be gone, too. So, yeah, I got to let's start with that out. Yeah, I, I get it. I imagine it was a nice seemed like it was a nice trip, judging by your Instagram feed. <laughs> it was uh, a little bit of work and some definitely some enjoyable stuff. You know, I the world is open, so I have a little bit of a wanderlust and to be able to do that, go out with family and all that kind of stuff. But thank you to you and yeah, Robin, awesome. by the way. I got to Robin, thank you very much for being here and making Keith look good while I was gone. You now know how hard this job is going into 100 episodes. <laughs> yeah, it's tough. It's tough. Not an easy one, that's for sure. It's not easy at all. Oh, man. Well, there's a few things I've missed, by the way, besides just uh -huh. you and this time. Um, when Maverick came out, I was traveling in places where they were not being released in English. So I actually haven't seen <sighs> the world's biggest movie yet. This is crazy, right? And we have a whole podcast. I, I think I'm becoming you and you're becoming me because you did see it. And I didn't see it. Oh, my God. I did see it. Yes. I saw it in IMAX, no less. Oh, ha! my gosh. Beat that. <laughs> I don't know if I can beat that. I think IMAX theater, I think it might be out of IMAX now right now. Jurassic might have taken it over. Yeah, Jurassic World Dominion has taken over, so I don't think you have a shot at it. Um, but yeah, Tim, that's that's poor form. Although, to give you some credit, you're still not as bad as me with Spider-Man. Well, I think I didn't see Spider-Man until, what, it had been out for almost a month, six weeks, until I finally saw it. So I might be coming up on that. You, your clock is ticking on you, my friend, until you... <laughs> Until you, until you start getting the hate that I got after I announced I hadn't seen Spider-Man yet. <laughs> well, sometimes we talk about the pivot that's inside of Hollywood. We should talk about the pivot that's actually happening inside of a Hollywood Breaks podcast. Breaks, because of exactly. Pivots, happen. <laughs> yeah. pivots happening. I'm seeing movies you're not. So what the hell? Oh, my anyway. gosh. Well, I, I clearly have missed out because Maverick's numbers are huge. I mean, they're approaching a billion dollars already. And. Yep. How old's the franchise? I mean, it's it's almost as old as you, man. I uh, it's funny. Um, Top Gun was I was back visiting my parents in Pittsburgh um, this past weekend, and Top Gun was on, and of course I couldn't not watch it. And then my mom asked, "Is like I don't even know if I've seen the original." I was like, "Mom, I, you saw the original with me?" Like, it's like she's like, "Oh right." And I was like, "How many years ago was that?" And I was so I looked at it. It was almost thirty six years ago, I think. It was nineteen eighty six. It was released. Wow. So if you think that's, yeah, 36 years. Yeah, that's that, 36 that, years. I remember seeing it in, in theaters, and I said this a couple weeks ago on the podcast with Robin. That's when I when I watched that movie, I was like, I want to do that for a living. Like, I want to make these for a living. And so it, it has a very sort of nostalgic place in my heart. So, um, but yeah, it's just had a phenomenal run. Um, their, their second weekend drop was like 29%. Again, phenomenal, unheard of in this day and age. 29% drop. So it's, man, that's not even, wow, that's that's incredible. Yeah, because typically what you look at most of the Marvel films, they're averaging anywhere between 50 and 60% second week drop. Whereas sure. Top Gun held very nicely. And then last weekend with 
Jurassic World, it still made 50 million, which in and of itself is unbelievably impressive. And considering their target audience is not um, a regular, has not been a regular moviegoer in the pandemic age that we are currently slowly working our way out of. Um, but it's just, it. I, I, I've said this a million times and I'll say it again. I have n- not enjoyed myself in the theater for quite some time as much as I enjoyed it when I was watching Top Gun. It was just great ride at the movies, great storytelling. Just everything was just, it's why, you know, it's why you go to the movies. It's just, it's one of the reasons why you go. It's just to have a great time and just, I mean, for me, it was just for the minute the theme came on, right when the Paramount logo till the end, I was just, I was like, you know, back in 86 again. It was great. It was awesome. You're still smiling from it, Keith. I know it was two weeks ago. I'm still smiling. (laughs) I'm still smiling. I mean, I haven't, I haven't diffused this much about a movie and I don't know how long. (laughs) <laughs> don't, don't make me too much more jealous, man. I'm a FOMO guy. Yes. You're just like burning my soul right now. This FOMO thing. Yes, you need you need to see it. Well, you're in New York next week. Go see it. There you go. That's something you can do when you're in New York. They got good theaters there. You can check it out. Oh, no, I'm not that far away from an AMC theater right now that I have just been waiting. I mean, Lightyear is coming out too. I was thinking about taking the kids to Lightyear. Yeah. I could spend the whole weekend in the theater, to be honest, right now. Yes, you I, probably could. You could yeah. bounce between Top Gun, Jurassic World, and then on to Lightyear. You could do a, a triple, triple feature. So here's what's funny. Although like these are gigantic numbers, clearly a, a brilliant move by Paramount to hold this film back, even though we've been complaining oh, about it for a few years. Super brilliant move. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, Paramount has been building up this this runway to this point where they've mm-hmm. been killing it, killing it, killing it, and they keep they just keep on going. So we know at some point that the tides are going to turn. And I want to guess there's not an, anything on the backside of Maverick that is going to get even bigger than Maverick. So we're looking at the peak of, of, of Paramount's domination right now, which is pretty awesome. Mm-hmm. Great run. Yeah. They're going to be in a cash position, obviously, just doing great. And they don't have an OTT platform that's killing it like Disney or something like that. So they're doing it in the old-fashioned theaters. Um, I, I love I love that part of it, um, but here's what's funny: if Marty McFly were to get into his time machine in 1987 <laughs> and come yeah. to 2022, so 35 mm-hmm. years in the future for Marty McFly, and he wa- and saw what's in the theaters, he would say, "Oh, these are just sequels to what came out last year." I mean, we really are still <laughs> repeating. <laughs> I mean, Jurassic that's, Park and that's funny. and Maverick that's funny, yeah. and even yeah. Buzz Lightyear. I know that's maybe even eight years or 10 years further in the future to get Buzz Lightyear. But to think mm-hmm. that the movies that are dominating theater right now are replays in a way. Yeah. Um, there is still yep. something that is a sign that something isn't progressing or there's a holdback or there is a buildup that something new is on the horizon. Um, so yeah. kudos to what's going on. I think they found their audience and found their movement. Nostalgia works that way. Um, but yeah. pretty curious that in that uh, Ross Dutho kind of thing, we're still living in that of uh, replay of culture. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. I mean, it, it, that's a very, I never really thought of about like, like that. If Marty McFly were to jump in his time machine and fast forward, he, you know, the joke in, in uh, Back to Future 2 was that, the movie that was playing was Jaws 51. It was like Jaws in like 5D where he comes out and grabs Marty. I mean, it's so there is this aspect of it that that is playing into it. But I think it's also there is a level of fear that's sort of permeated in terms of Hollywood, in terms of the risk taking and what's happening in the industry in general. 
And Tim Heindel, who we've had on a few times at Lionsgate, has, has brought up this idea that it's all about this, this concept of world building. It's the idea that these universes afford you so many different opportunities to tell stories that the studios seem to be leaning more on that. Now, I don't know what's next for Jurassic World. This is the sixth version of the film since they rebooted it, basically. So I don't know what's next after that. I'm sure they'll probably pivot off some character. Uh, this probably means we're going to get another Top Gun at some point, um, especially given the success of it. But it does beg the question, like, well, are we just going to keep going back to the well and not looking for new stories to tell? Are we, are we really that burned out that we don't we don't have um, the creative capacity to come up with new stories? And I think, again, it's this level of fear and the fear of risk aversion that has sort of permeated the industry for a few years now. And I think it was there prior to the pandemic, but I think it only calcified with the pandemic. And now everyone's like, well, I can't make a risk on something um, that is not going to be a surefire hit. So. Yeah. And even in in the Jurassic series, I mean, they're bringing back the original cast in this round, too. So Marty yeah, would be even exactly, less yeah. surprised because we're he's even <laughs> seeing Jeff Goldblum on the screen. Or yeah. Right. He's like, oh, Jeff Goldblum. I mean, and they and they were having him do like Jeff Goldblum was doing his iconic pose from the movie. And yeah, I mean, it's just it, it really is just sort of. And there were a lot of homages to the original and Top Gun. I mean, all the way to. Um, sport, um, I won't ruin it for you, but there's moments when it's like, wow, this is just a re rehash of the original, which is great for someone like me who grew up with it. But yeah. is it really going to draw more people back to theaters? Now, the, the plus is it, it brought a lot of the older crowd who were somewhat reluctant, although I never really bought that theory that the older crowd didn't want to come back. I just don't think they wanted to see what was in theaters. And so, you know, a lot of people did come back and who have been not going to the theater, which is great. But, you know, does that mean they're going to keep coming back? Like what happens when the next Thor comes out? Are we going to go back to the comic book geeks? And, you know, so we'll have to wait and see how it all shakes out. But, uh, you know, there's pluses and minuses to it, obviously. These films were greenlit before the pandemic, too. So this is not this is not a. Oh, yeah. I agree with you. And I, I know, historically speaking, when the economy is in uh, a disarray and people have a fear, we often go back to things that are known. Broadway has Mary Poppins and Lion King on Broadway. They don't come up with new shows because it's too risky. They want to go to IP that people know. Um, theaters do the same right. thing. Well, these things are greenlit before, before that. So we were probably looking at studios saying we're, we have an economic problem and something we have to go back to things that are well known even before the pandemic, mm -hmm. even before the, the current uh, inflation numbers and what have you. But I'm going to guess yeah. like there's, this is going to push even more concern and change. As a matter of fact, I think we're seeing that in the studio heads. I mean, there's some major mm -hmm. employment changes happening right now <laughs> yeah. um, inside of Disney, yep. inside of um, MGM, the MGM crew uh, taking over, um, like they're, they're, I'm sorry, MGM crew is not taking over Disney. MGM crew is taking over, um, Warner brothers discovery, Warner brothers. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, we're seeing some of that probably a, a, a response now to what studios know is coming in the future and recognizing, Hey, we're, we're done with our mm -hmm. reserve. We pulled Maverick off yeah. the shelf. We better go do something now. We pulled Jurassic park off the shelf. We gotta go do something now. Yeah, I mean, uh, the last few, I mean, I've been surprised at the number of sort of reshuffling that's occurred over the course of the last two weeks. Um, you know, we talked a little bit about this a couple of weeks ago with Robin, with the um, 
Toby Emmerich stepping aside and Michael DeLuca and Pam Abdi stepping in for Warner Brothers Discovery. Um, Zaslav revealing his plan to break them off into three basically t- um, silos, similar to what Disney does. Warner Brothers Discovery, new, uh, sorry, new Warner Brothers and New Line, one silo. Warner Brothers Animation, another. And then DC, another. And so the theory is Michael DeLuca and Pam Abney will oversee New Line Warner Brothers and all three until um, Zaslav hires a head for Warner Brothers Animation. And then ultimately, it sounds like Walter Hermada, who's now the current head of DC Films, is going to be pushed out the door and they're going to bring in a new head for DC as well. And then subsequently, like a week later, Carolyn Blackwood, who was the CEO at Warner Brothers, is now also leaving. So there's a complete sort of restructure. But at the same time, there, you know, it's interesting because within like four or five days of the announcement of Michael DeLuca and Pam Abdi coming to power, there was a piece in Hollywood Reporter that basically said, well, you know what? It's great. Michael's good with talent, but, you know, he hasn't really ever made a lot of money on his movies like Licorice Pizza, which is a movie he made at MGM. Great film, but it cost like they spent like 45 million on it, which is insane for that movie. Yeah, that movie. It's not on the screen at the first. <laughs> yeah, it's not doing that kind of number. Yeah. So and then, you know, Cyrano was landed with a huge thud and I don't know what they spent on that. Um, so there's definitely a sense that, OK, well, it's great. Michael Luca does have good film relationships, you know, when he's at Sony, he spent a lot of money and I don't really know how well he's going to do reporting directly into David. Obviously they've had conversations about that. So, I mean, obviously I'm all for like giving the guy a shot and obviously Pam's a really bright exec. I worked with her briefly when I was at Fox and she was at Regency. Um, So, you know, you can see that there's a really a, a bright sort of future for them in terms of what they could potentially bring to the plate. And I think Zaslav has a lot of the right ideas in place, i.e. being friendly to talent, but also saying, yeah, we're not going to spend $100 million on this Clint Eastwood movie movie just to be nice to him. Like, Mm -hmm. we're not doing that anymore. So that's a very delicate balance. So we'll see how that plays out. Um, Do you think this is like an apology, though, of like uh, Warner Brothers moves early on the pandemic where they kind of changed the rules on release, changed the rules on payout, trying to play into the hands of the artists again? Yeah, I mean, you, you look at what Zaslav has done since he the, the merger was announced, and he's sort of ingratiated himself into Hollywood. He's meeting with all these kind of, you know, he contacted Brian Lord, head of CAA, had Brian sort of walk him through the town, had all these dinners at Brian Lord's house where he met all these agents and producers and, you know, showrunners and all these people just to sort of ingratiate himself into the community, which was very smart. Yeah, of course. Um, you know, contrast that with, you know, Bob Chapek and Kareem Daniel at Disney, where they've basically not really been meeting with talent and almost confrontational with talent, which in a relationship business, that's not always the best play. But again, we'll see how it goes because, you know, he's saying, I love talent. I want to be friendly to talent. But at the same time, he's saying, I'm not making your your passion project for 150 million. That's a very delicate, delicate balance to meet. So we'll see how it goes. Um, they still have to fill, like I said, two more uh, heads of those silos and we'll see how that transforms. And they have all these layoffs that are forthcoming because they've got to find $3 billion worth sure. of savings. They're heavily loaded with debt. So there's a lot of challenges for them for sure. I mean, it does beg the question, you know, DeLuca has been around. Pam Abdi has been around. They've all been around. It's just like this laundry machine of the same executive for the same jobs over and over again. Which we've been saying that for the last two years, haven't we? Like we're just 
Same heads. Yeah, I've been saying that forever. Richard Rushfield wrote a piece about it. LA Times had a newsletter that sort of addressed it. And yeah, it's it's a lot based on relationships because it's a relationship-driven town. It takes a while to build up these these relationships. And, you know, but you have to understand that people get let go for a reason, whether or not they're spending too much or they don't have the, you know, the acumen or the mission of the studio changes. It doesn't mean that if they go somewhere else, they're going to immediately be success. Now, you could look at someone like Tom Rothman, who was subsequently pushed out at Fox and then went to Sony and completely flipped that studio around. So, I mean, there's something to be said of, you know, the experience. But at the same time, I don't see any sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, ascension charts, succession charts. Yeah. Like of who's going to take over? Where are the the next leaders? We're still missing that youthful uh, presentation that we talked about as in past generations. We knew that there were younger people that would pop up not necessarily the old yeah. guard just repeating itself. And we're still seeing that. Right. E- even like this move with uh, Peter Rice at Disney, because that's another big shift that took yeah. place, right? That's something that <laughs> yeah. it's a little bit disturbing, but there's also a canary in the coal mine to recognize, hey, there's going to be some shifts in entertainment and we're going to ask new mm-hmm. questions. But um, right. you know, we don't really know where that's going, but that is kind of we're recognizing as – uh, a step in the, in a new direction and probably asking um, when I guess like another OTT question, like, are we doing the best we can in entertainment on mm-hmm. our platforms or do we need to be pushing yeah. harder and trying to win more and trying to gain more in these areas? Uh, it's not based on creativity. The Peter Rice move is not no. based on like, we're not creative enough. Let's get somebody more creative. No, I, I mean, it's, it's tough to read between the lines with the Peter Rice move. I mean, it, you know, the minute it happened, everyone was like, oh, what? Why? You just, re- I mean, there are a lot of th- things that are confusing about it. They just, Chapik had just re-upped um, Peter Rice's deal. And then a mere nine to 10 months later, fires him. Um, you know, he knew, well, I mean, maybe he didn't know, but, you know, Fox, the Fox culture was very sort of kill or be killed. It was, you know, what they call, quote unquote, entrepreneurial. In other words, there were really no rules. Like you pretty much could, you know, you had to push your way around and you had to have sharp elbows. That's not the Disney culture. Now, you know, anyone who has worked outside of Disney has often heard that everyone's nice and, you know, huggy to your face, but then behind your back, they stab you. Whereas at Fox, they basically are just mean to your face and you know, like they'll come at you with a knife right to your face. <laughs> They're not going to, hi, good to see you. I'm going to kill you. I'm, you know, poisoning your drink too. And so that is definitely a bit of a culture clash. It's interesting that that seemed to be one of the reasons that he was that Rice was shown the door. Also, that Dana Walden apparently was you know was coming up for for a renewal, and he has these two powerhouse execs. Which one am I going to do with? What am I going to do with both of them? And then you know he has Peter Rice, who has been mentioned as a potential successor to Chapik because Chapik hasn't his contract's up in eight months sure. and he hasn't been renewed yet. So there's obviously a sense, you know, at least outside of, you know, the immediate halls of the Disney board that they're questioning whether or not they're going to re-up his contract. And, you know, they did release a statement right after the Rice firing became public. Um, Susan Arnold, who's the chair of the board, um, released a statement in support of Chapik. So it seemed like 
that was where it was heading. And okay, but why? Wow, you're saying this is like Game of Thrones inside of yes. the halls at Disney. Yes. Like we're overthrowing the successors or getting rid of the successors so that. Uh, yeah. Oh, wow. Yes. I mean, because listen, Peter Rice is a very well-liked exec. Um, he has had some bumps in his career. Like uh, people seem to glaze over the fact that he was very tight with the Murdochs. Um, he was buddy buddy with James when James was running the company. Um, his father helped P Rupert Murdoch take on the unions in England. So there was a lot of family connections, and you know he had some bumps. Fox Atomic was his baby, and that crashed and burned. And anywhere else, had he not been Peter Rice, I don't know if he would have survived that. But he mm. was Peter Rice, Rupert sort of took him under his wing um, and sort of kept moving him up the chain of command. So, you know, he's had some really great highs. He built Searchlight into the behemoth that it is now. You yeah. can't deny that that was a huge success. He had some great successes when he was running Fox. Yeah. But there are some bumps in the road. Um, it just seemed like this was kind of out of left field. Now, listen, we don't have all the – I'm always a big proponent of we don't have all the facts. We don't know what happened. We have no idea – what the real reason was only sort of Bob and his HR head probably know the real reasons why Peter was let go. And everyone, everything's just a conjecture at this point. And you can kind of see it with the release. Like there was a Hollywood reporter story that was more friendly to Peter Rice. And then there was a Wall Street Journal story, which was more friendly to Disney's position. So you can kind of see like they're taking two different tacks. Bob's more concerned about the stock price and the business decision behind the move and then the Hollywood Reporter is more concerned, as typical with Hollywood Reporter, more concerned about the gossipy reasons. Oh, it's because Peter was a threat. That may be true, but we don't. We'll never know for sure. This isn't just at the end of an earnout deal from the merger. You don't think this was like, okay, well, we knew there was a runway. We knew there was going to be a crossover. There's, the merger is going to happen. We're going to retain some of the leadership, but then we yeah. know we're going to become Disney again, and we're actually kind of seeing Disney right become stay true to its form and not let the uh, outsider come in. That would make sense if they had Disney hadn't re-upped Peter Rice a mere 10, eight to 10 months before. Oh, I see what you're saying. To a, a, a three-year deal when Peter was getting ready to walk. Yeah. Okay. Now some of, some of the positioning well, that might that's be coming out is because he played, yeah, uh, played is, his cards. Yeah. Well, I did read one article where they came out and said, well, listen, Peter was never responsible for the CEO chat, but he never actively downplayed it. Mm -hmm. like, he never came out and said, listen, I don't want the CEO. I'm happy where I'm at. Bob's doing a great job. He's been very supportive of my division. Um, I'm, 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 I'm clear with his vision. Of course he's not going to deny the CEO job. Why would you stop? Right. But, <laughs> Disney. but then that's, that's where the issue I think came in for Bob because he's like, wait a minute, this guy's like a taught and no one's, you know, it's not team player-ish, which I think is very much a Disney mod. It's like, it's all about being a team player. You got to be behind whoever's, you know, driving the ship, you know, get on the bus, get, get on the bus and ride with the bus or get off. Mm -hmm. And I think it was certain at a point where Chapik was like, okay, I'm done. This guy, you know, is, I don't know for sure. And again, I don't want to commit, offer conjecture. I think there's more to the story than we know. Um, maybe it'll come out, but I think there's more to it than we know right now. And it's all just sort of trying to read the tea leaves at this point. What I guess I'm curious about is, does this help Disney settle something? So is Disney, some foundation stronger because of this move? Or is this an indication that Disney's moving, that there's a pivot taking place and they're pulling away from the foundation? Because I, you know, like think about, um, for example, 
it, just the deal with Pixar. Like Pixar is not performing like it used to. They, they've played itself out. Right. The magic's gone since Lasseter's been gone. And probably, you know, there's obviously issues with Lasseter, but there, there's, there's nobody really running the show that way. Um, and Disney, I wonder if Disney has to ask new questions and determine what its future looks like, pull away from the foundation, mm-hmm. or is it saying like, Hey, we're not Disney enough. Let's, let's secure the foundation. Let's get back to our core. Let's get back to the things that we do. I don't know how much Peter Peter's influence is on that, but I'm curious if, if that's what, which one of the indications is. I don't think there's, it's a, it's a sign of a major sea change because as I said, Dana Walden worked with Peter Rice for years at Fox, like, and she grew up in the same sharp elbowed culture that. Peter Rice did. So Hmm. it's not necessarily different. Now, there could be argued she has a much more public relationship with the creatives than Peter Rice did. Peter Rice was not, he was was known to have great relationships. Everybody liked him. Um, But Dana Walden was known for her creative, like her, she and Ryan Murphy were tight when they were at Fox. Um, She has great relationships with Lee Daniels. She has great relationships with all these creatives who were very successful at Fox and on and 20th TV production company when she was running that. So she brings that to the table um, and she's savvy. She's been around for a long time um, and, she, you know, she survived a very cutthroat culture at Fox. So mm-hmm. and this is all I mean, she's very ambitious. So obviously this is a, a, a step up for her and it's one that she's wanted. Um, but I don't think it 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 showcases a major sea change. Um, but I do think, you know, there wouldn't necessarily be a bad thing if Disney just sort of said, like, let's have a back to basics moment. You know, we've kind of gotten a little bit of a breather from, um, you know, the pandemic. We've had some successful series. We've had some successful successful movies. Marvel's still churning out some good hits. We've got the Love and Thunder, Thor, another Marvel movie coming down the pike. So maybe this is a time to sort of get back to our first principles. Now, have they had a lot of bumps along the way? Yes. Mm-hmm. As Bob had a lot of unnecessary headlines because of clumsy moves. Yes. Um, but again, you know, it's it, it's to be expected after you follow a guy like Bob Iger, who had all these huge swing bets yeah. that paid off immensely. That's what I was thinking right there. So, you don't, yeah. I don't envy the guy. And it's it's not it's not easy shoes to fill. And by the way. I had a little knock on Iger. He has not gone quietly into the good night. He is very much still very vocal. When a show comes on, he's like, I remember when you pitched this to us. I'm like, us? Dude, you're not with Disney anymore. Like, you need to distract yourself. Dude, he bleeds. He bleeds mouse blood there. Come he on. He bleeds, Mickey. Like, it's like, it's like, dude, you got to let. And yeah, yeah. there was obviously some animosity around that because he he kind of hung around for two years after Bob got. And, and we all remember that announcement was sort of out of the blue. And all of a sudden, oh, Iger's all retiring all of a sudden. And there was all this sort of rumblings that he had known that the 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 coronavirus was coming and it was worse than we all thought. So we wanted to get out of there before it got really bad. And that aside, you know, you have to respect that, you know, Bob II has had a lot of challenges. Now, yeah. as far as Pixar goes, you know, they got Lightyear this week, this weekend coming up. The reviews have been decent, 80%, which is great for Rotten Tomatoes, but... Let's remember that Pixar is usually 95 to 100. So their movies are pretty high up there. And this doesn't seem, this seems to be missing a mark a little bit. It'll still probably do between anywhere between, I'd say, 80, 85 mil, maybe. Um, That's still a a decent result, but that's not Toy Story cash. So, well, it's also like, um, it's, although it's the use of the same IP, it is not 
the Buzz Lightyear we've all come to love with inside Toy Story. Yeah. So it's not a Buzz Lightyear right. movie like we're used to Buzz Lightyear movie. This is <clears throat> kind of a play on the yeah. IP, brings in Chris Evans. We know Tim Allen has had his issues with Disney over the over the years, um, last few years politically of who he who he is and uh, some of the shows right. that he's made with Disney are, have moved on. So you can feel that title change. And it, matter of fact, I, I almost find it curious, maybe even somewhat genius, the way that they have pivoted Buzz Lightyear and this episodic idea of you know the Buzz Lightyear TV show opposed to Buzz Lightyear toy that was you know the character inside the TV show. Yeah, um, kind of a genius kind of pivot and to to have a Chris Evans instead of Tim Allen and and Tom mm-hmm. Hanks repeat their voices, repeat their thing. Um, so in a shift, I think it's a smart shift. But you're right. I don't. I think they have to find their own kind of new voice and new audience because we're so used to saying Pixar as these amazing Steve Jobs, John Lasseter creation, mm-hmm. Camille uh, creations. But it's like um, we're we're seeing the new, we're seeing the pivot, we're seeing the shift and how it's going to play out. So I'm a little bit curious how this one does it uh, plays out because I think we're going to if yeah. this works or doesn't work, we'll see other IP in the in the Pixar universe come through as well. Part of me understands the business decision behind it, but part of me is a little cynical simply because that was what Pixar did so brilliantly was just the original storytelling. Like they were the one place they didn't rush out movies. They took their time. It took like two releases between Pixar movies were anywhere between two and three years because they would just work on one at a time. Now that mantra has somewhat shifted, we've had what three or four Pixar movies in the last two years, I think. And that's a lot for Pixar. Now we should also mention this is the first one that's been in theaters for a while. Um, because they've been pushing them all on Disney Plus. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see if this sort of new mantra of, you know, world building that has sort of dominated all the other studios is successful at at Pixar, which has been known for its original storytelling. So, um, you know, when Toy Story started having sequels, everyone's like, okay, here we go. But those sequels were amazing. So it was like, okay, they haven't, they haven't really lost their touch. Now we're sort of entering into a new world with Pixar where it's now, okay, we're going to start doing spinoffs. And that can sometimes lead to a little bit of uneven storytelling. Um, as I said, the reviews for this one are a little lower than what you normally expect from, from Pixar. That doesn't mean it's not a good movie, but I think Pixar has built this brand over the years that they're just great. Like they're just emotional you know, powerhouses that you don't ex- necessarily expect to get from a animated film. And now we'll see how that, if that plays out. I think that's to me is, um, we'll say, I'm, I'm going to choose the wrong word here. So I'm going to try to think about what I really mean, but I was going to, cause I was going to say the fun part of this, but I don't, it's not necessarily fun, but there's a thoughtful process of like, we're seeing Pixar go through a pivot. Marvel's going to have to go through the same pivot. Star Wars has to go the same. Yeah. These, these worlds have to become, uh, in a different form in order to keep the IP alive because we can't have Doctor Strange 29. I don't know. Like it doesn't, right. that same kind of a presentation that we've become used to of Marvel also has to uh, have a new life and a new kind of look and feel to it um, to keep it alive if that world theory is going to keep playing itself out. Um, so I, I, to me, I love that the fact that they're taking on that challenge and trying something new and we're going to look at different numbers. We're going to look at different demographics. We're going to ask different questions. My kids who watched Buzz Lightyear originally are, 
are having their own kids now. Like, you know, like it's that, that yeah. my kids aren't having those kids yet, but you know, that age of kids that were watching it are now having their own kids. You're going right. to approach your nostalgia very differently than wanting to watch Buzz like you know, Toy Story 9. Yeah. Although, yeah, you know, exactly. if, if Ross Dutho is right, there will be a story, Toy Story 29 because we're just going to, in 27 years from now, be watching Buzz Lightyear again. Yeah, Buzz Lightyear and then uh, Maverick will have a kid and he'll take over the, the Top Gun mantle and we'll be Maverick yeah, exactly. Jr. or something. Just like, like Rocky or whatever. <laughs> and then, yeah, then he has to train yeah, another exactly. guy. Yeah, yeah. Although Rocky, Rocky never, never trained his son. That was the interesting pull of Rocky, that Rocky never was able to convince his son to get in the ring. So. I thought Rocky was there was a Rocky with the kid, right? Because then, obviously, Creed. No, they all. Oh. Uh, uh, it was Creed's kid, not Rocky's kid. I know, but there was a previous one where the Rocky Six or something like that. I want to say there was one with. I can't. I, I don't, don't I've been think so, too often. but I, I've been known to be wrong before. Okay, leave a comment. Tell Keith and I, school us if you know the answer to this. There's some Rocky fans out there that we're just destroying them right now that we don't know this. Dude, you're a Philadelphia guy. Don't you? Isn't this part of school curriculum to learn Rocky? I'm not from Philadelphia, Tim. I'm, it's, I'm not from Philadelphia. Dude. Aren't your kids being indoctrinated into Rocky films in the public schools of Philly? Uh, well, they're definitely being indoctrinated into Eye of the Tiger. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> but not what necessarily isn't? the films. Not necessarily the films yet. It's been mostly Eye of the Tiger. So. <laughs> yeah, that's that's so appropriate. That's pretty appropriate. Yeah. Appropriate. yeah. Uh, well, so curious. Well, I'm going to go buy my tickets right now online for Maverick. So I got to get you there should. and watch that thing. And we can talk about it next week, what your thoughts on the film. You and I are going to see each other in just a few days. We're going to NFT NYC. Yes. We're going to see some of the new world of entertainment that's popping up. I have some stories to tell you, by the way, that I can't announce here, but we're going to, we can, uh, there's some fun stuff uh, nice. in the entertainment space. Look forward to that. I'm kind of in the hearing, so it's pretty fun uh, what's going on there. And I nice. think it, a lot of great things are um, coming out. There's some of the questions of what's happening in the in the NFT world. We're seeing play out NFT NYC next week, so it'll be kind of yeah. cool to see that stuff. Awesome. With yep. you um, and enjoy ourselves in New York City. So, and if I haven't seen a film yet, we can maybe make a time in the afternoon and Run off, grab some popcorn. I'd see it again. I would definitely see it again. <laughs> we should probably go watch something that uh, that we uh, we could cover here. That someone else. We, I don't know. We'll figure something out. We'll, we'll see if we we'll can figure something out. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for covering for me for the last few weeks. And again, Robin, your course. blessing to the, our podcast and all that you do for us here. Um, all of Keith's friends that. Uh, are listening and Keith Founders Brew. I gotta say, even though I'm traveling the world, somehow, no matter where I am in the world, Founders Brew finds its way to me. <laughs> it's incredible. I will never let you get away from the Founders Brew newsletter, Tim. Never, yeah. ever, ever. <laughs> it is literally worldwide distribution because I was right there in yes. the world and it was showing up on my doorstep no matter what. Yeah. So that's awesome. the beauty of the Substack newsletter, my friend. You can it can go everywhere wherever you go. <laughs> I'll keep up the good work. All right, good to see you. I will, sure. You have a good week. I'll see you next week. See you next week.